Our battered suitcases were piled on the sidewalk again. We had longer ways to go, but no matter. The road is life. Jack Kerouac on the road. We all carry suitcases filled with the flotsam and jetsam of our experiences. These satchels are that which is us. And we open them and share them in order to connect. Every road is an adventure. Every path a journey. Most are mundane and normal. Some are quite peculiar. I'm Don Hall, and these are my peculiar journeys. And welcome to episode 72 of Peculiar Journeys. Um, just found out uh, on this recording uh, that uh, it looks like Nevada is going to extend um, our lockdown, our shutdown of the economy for a little bit while longer. There's no specific debts or date set, um, but it's looking more and more like uh, the optimistic view would be June 1st. Um, and, uh, at that point we'll see what happens. Um, as I've said to a number of people on social media, I think, uh, governor Sislak's done a great job. I also think that he understands pragmatically if, uh, if the city of Las Vegas opens up its casinos, and even if the spike that occurs as a result is not casino related, if we have a significant, a big spike, the PR disaster to 42 million people that come from all over the world to party here is going to be years in the repair. And so I think uh, I think he's doing a fine job, and uh, I'm, I'm willing to wait it out if we have to. Um, that's just, uh, how I feel about it. You know, it, the, the whole thing has been very interesting, uh, watching things unfold. You know, I just, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, so I'm just going to rely on the scientists. That's the thing. Now, something I am a scientist on is shit that I have watched while in the shutdown. Um, one of the things that I have noticed, uh, and I do this anyway, because my brain never stops, but when I, you know, I've, I've had a couple of nights where I just can't get to sleep, um, having anxiety dreams. I, you know, I carry, I, I don't carry my anxiety like, you know, I'm a little more old school. I'm Irish and I stuff most of my bullshit down. I don't really feel that comfortable uh, getting all sherry about that shit. Just deal with it, be stoic, get your shit done. And uh, that's resulting in some weird sleep habits and some, I don't really remember my dreams for the most part. I just know that they're not good dreams. Uh, but one of the things I do to kind of turn my brain off is I just, I do what everybody else has been doing in this uh, pandemic shutdown is I watch a lot of fucking TV and movies. So I want to share with you the five things that I, notable things that I've watched while in lockdown. You've all watched Netflix Tiger King. Everybody's watched it. Uh, I found it, it's really entertaining until you realize they're actual people and they're kind of shitty people and they're horrifying to the animals. And then it's not as much fun toward the end. It, it, it's sort of when reality sets in, it's less fun. And so uh, that was my Tiger King experience. I also watched Star Trek Picard. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed a lot of moments. I thought it was a little clunky. There were some things I didn't really care too much for the execution of it, but nothing beats Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. That's awesome. Um, I thought there was a cheat ending. If you haven't watched it, you can watch it and you can, uh, you can uh, email me and tell me I'm full of shit. I also watched The Hunt. Um, you know, it was the, the movie that, uh, that was banned because it's basically about a bunch of woke liberals gathering up rednecks and deplorables and hunting them for sport. 
it's really funny. I, regardless of where you sit on the spectrum, it's a really funny movie. It's a great satire of both the far right and the uh, the far left. And so it was. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I have, of course, as always, have been watching uh, Survivor: uh, Winners at War. I highlight. If you don't know Survivor, uh, you have you you're missing out. I think Survivor is it's the granddaddy of all great reality TV. And I think it's, uh, I still think it's just as entertaining and well done as anything else. And finally, and this is sort of like a huge section of things that I watch, so it doesn't count as five things. This is like, makes it like 35 things. But I really got into a a thing where I, I don't know why. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's not like I thought it out uh, all that clearly, but I suddenly just was like, I, I started watching the Daniel Craig, James Bonds. And then I went back and watched the last like three Mission Impossibles, and then I watched the Bourne movies, and then I watched all of the the the, the oh shit now I can't think of what it's called it's the Stallone thing the uh, Expendables Expendables one two and three and it's and it basically I just got into a, a whole cycle of testosterone driven 1980s kind of feeling white dudes killing people and beating the shit out of people and surviving I don't know. Who knows why, but that's what I, I, I call it, Testosterone Alley. Watched a lot of that stuff. Really spent a lot of time, probably more than I needed to, watching that kind of bullshit. As, uh, as we get into episode 72, one of the things that I was, uh, I, I, my wife and I were talking, and I realized that there are plenty of, you know, as, as we kind of pass through, I guess, the idea of the pandemic and start really looking at the consequences of the economy being shut down for as long as it's it has been and will continue to be. Um, it really started making me think about jobs that I've had and jobs that uh, are either essential or not and that kind of thing. And so my first uh, set of stories is from way back in 1980. As a freshman in college, way back in 1980, I knew living at home was not going to work for me. Part of it was that my stepfather at the time flat out told me he would pay my way if I majored in criminal law. I didn't want to major in criminal law. I wanted to major in music. So he said I was on my own. Well, I had a scholarship for the tuition, but needed to make some bread to pay for a place to squat when not practicing my trumpet and studying music theory. A friend of a friend recommended a gig working nights, midnight to 9 a.m., on a cleaning crew for a few of Wichita's more prominent restaurants and bars. It paid well, and it fit my schedule, so I bet. I met the boss at midnight at the local Chi-Chi's. Having worked as a waiter there for exactly three hours, I knew the location. I walked in, and he sized me up. Can't remember his name, but I recall that he looked hard. You know the guy. Pot belly as hard as a rock, a permanent five o'clock shadow, a shock of wiry hair poking out of a weathered ball cap. He handed me a pair of enormous hard rubber gloves, and we walked back to the kitchen. Turn it on and power wash the place, he growled as he passed over a thick black hose with a nozzle. Power wash? The water's friggin' hot as hell, so don't get it on you if you can help it. Spray everything. There are drains on the floor, so don't worry about that. They're supposed to put away the pans and cooking stuff, but if they didn't, and he grabbed the hose back, took aim at a metal bowl half filled with dried up refried beans and cockroaches, and blasted it across the room. Target practice. And he cackled like he told a dirty joke about a whore and a priest. There was a checklist beyond target practice. The floors of the entire place, carpets, bathrooms. We didn't do the windows, but we didn't disinfect the surfaces and tabletops. 
He and I cleaned four bars that night. I was handed a weekly schedule. I never saw the boss again. On my next scheduled shift, after a day of classes, rehearsals, and four hours of sleep, I met the crew. This time we started at Joe Kelly's Oyster Dock. It was a fish place (laughs) with a huge circular bar in the middle and a hardwood floor made with huge planks of aged wood. The crew were two other guys, both about a decade my senior. Duffy wore lots of black leather. He had a dark blue mohawk and had a 15-inch knife strapped to his left leg. He rode a motorcycle and wore mirrored sunglasses even in the dim recesses of the restaurant. He was also a frothing, born-again Pentecostal Christian. Tim was a classic burnout. Think Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski, but without the charm. He'd done a lot of drugs in his younger years, and it showed in his perpetually stoned demeanor and vacant stares. That night, he told me his favorite job he'd ever had was as the manager of the Circle Cinema, Wichita's since-closed-down porn theater. He loved that gig, but got fired for being caught getting a hand job by a 16-year-old girl. Now, being 18 years young, I can't say I was the brightest bulb in the lamp, but my wattage outshone these two retards like a lighthouse lamp eclipses a Christmas tree strand. Within a week, Tim handed me a note from the boss. Scrawled in black pen and in all caps, it read, You are now the crew supervisor. Extra $3 an hour. You're, you're misspelled, in charge. Neither Duffy nor Tim cared much. They weren't big thinkers, so having the college kid tell them what to clean and in what order wasn't a problem. Of the two, Duffy was the more focused. All I had to do was give him the order, do the floors, disinfect the bark, hit the kitchen, and aside from him jawing on and on about Jesus and Christian rock all night, I never had to worry too much about him. Tim, on the other hand, was like working with a child. Almost every night, I had to talk him through the order of cleaning the floors. First sweep, then vacuum, then wet mop, then dry mop, then buff. The guy was just barely there on most nights and spent long smoke breaks at the bar in between each step. Which one now? He'd ask in between drags of his Whiston's lights. Neither of them would clean the bathrooms, ever. That was the only area that my supervisor authority ran dry. Anytime I'd even suggest that Duffy do the bathrooms, he'd go into a full-on rant whine about it. Tim just ignored me when I'd task it to him. So the bathrooms were almost always my domain. Now here's a bit of knowledge to dole out. Drunk men are juvenile. They piss on stuff. They piss on the floor around the urinals. They piss on the toilet. They piss on full rolls of toilet paper. Like stormtroopers in Star Wars, their aim is for shit. Drunk women on the other side are monsters, filthy and almost angry in the bathroom, shit smeared on the walls, used tampons stuck to the floor, half-empty glasses left in the corners covered in lipstick, half-eaten food on the sinks. I don't know if when half-cocked on Long Island iced teas, the long-standing rage at being paid less and treated like a pair of tits on legs seeps out like a poisonous sweat. But going into any woman's restroom after a Friday or Saturday night of business was like entering the threshold to hell. I found my rhythm, working the graveyard shift and doing classes during the day. I didn't sleep much, but I was 18 and had more energy than a weasel on crack, so that never seemed a problem. Duffy and Tim were both odd fonts of random knowledge, and they'd tell me stories of women they'd been with, of other jobs they'd had, 
and conspiracy theories about Iran and Russia and mind control via the television. There was a time Duffy spent an entire shift on target practice and grabbing crockware bowls filled with roaches and microwaving them. Then there was the night Tim forgot about a cigarette and caught a vintage Coke sign on fire in Willie C's Cafe. And then there was Walter. Walter was as skinny as a matchstick kid. Actually, he was five years older than me with a pompadour haircut. And out of his tiny body came the voice of James Earl Jones. It was a dissonance to hear him talk with this booming gravitas and then see the pipsqueak dude uttering the sound. He was also a fantastic actor. I knew Walter from my regular casting in Wichita Shakespeare in the Parks. And when he was looking for work, I hooked him up. Now, there were four of us, and we could hit two bars at the same time. I always paired up Duffy and Tim because regardless of the work, Walt and I had grand, sweeping conversations about theater, art, movies, and music. We also both really liked to prank each other. Now, Walter's pranks came in the form of, like, phone calls and plastic vomit. It was as if he spent a lot of time at Spencer's Gifts and just couldn't get enough. My pranks were mean. I was gifted my sense of humor from my grandfather, who was known for tricking his son into believing he was deaf by talking to him for hours without making a sound, and taught his grandson to try to catch rocks with his head. One night, as I'm buffing the floor in one of the restaurants and Walter's in on the bathrooms, Walter comes out of the women's. His face is as pale as a sheet of paper, and he looks mortified. I shut down the buffer. Don, I, I, I can't, I mean... I, I just can't. What is it, dude? What's going on? There's a... It's in the toilet. There's a... There's a fetus in the toilet. A fetus? Like an aborted fetus? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay. Why don't you buff and I'll go check it out. The relief on his face was visceral. Sure enough, when I take a look in the third stall, there is what appears to be a curled up pink fetus floating in the bowl. A bit bit horrified there until I notice the tail a long thin tail one might see on a oh apparently this rat has been in the sewer system and the water has gradually peeled off every strand of fur leaving nothing less than a curled up pink dead rat in the toilet and yes yes I'm a horrible fucking asshole. I'm a bastard because I put on my rubber gloves, picked the rat up by its tail, put it behind my back, and walked out to Walter. I feign horror. I make my lower lip tremble. He shuts off the buffer. Was it? Yeah. A fetus. A dead baby in the toilet. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I think it's a boy fetus. How about you check? And I hurl the rat at Walter. It hits him square on his skinny chest, and he lets out a high-pitched scream so alien to his deep vocal stylings that it creates another sort of disconnect. He squeals a second time like a tea kettle or an actress in a Jason Voorhees movie. His eyes roll back into his skull, and he drops like a sack of flour onto the floor. I laugh so hard, I feel like I might go blind or have a stroke. Walter quit that night. I cleaned the rest of the place myself. A week or so later, I caught up with him at Shakespeare rehearsal. I offer my apologies, but a few others want to know why. And in his booming voice, he tells the tale of the fetus with epic flair and manages to recreate his screech to boot. When he was finished, we all applauded him, and he took a bow. I worked this crew for a full year before transferring schools to another state. 
better scholarship with a good high school friend in the marching band. It's funny how my memories of this graveyard shift gig eclipses my memories of my first two years of college. But isn't that the fun thing about the narrative of our lives? Everybody talks about, you know, what are you doing during your lockdown time? Are you being productive or are you just laid on your fat ass and watching Netflix? Well, I've definitely done some fat ass and Netflix watching. I've gained some of that uh, pandemic weight and I'm doing my best to to jam that down. I do miss my gym. Um, but one of the things that I was working on prior to, uh, you know, all hell broke loose and, and continue to work on is I've been working on and researching a book that is effectively the history of off-strip casinos in Las Vegas, very specifically the history of the wild, wild west where I work, um, and then lots of anecdotes of the people that I've met in the year that I've been here as a casino manager. It's a very different world, totally unique, unlike anything I've ever experienced and probably most people that would read anything I would write, probably any, unlike anything they've experienced. Well, with this pandemic, it's, it, it, it's occurred to me that, that this book almost needs to be in two parts because when this is all over um, and and business starts in Vegas, we're going to have a very different casino landscape than we had in the last year. It's I mean, it's going to look and feel, I think, completely different or will it? I don't know. And so that's been one of the things that I'm playing on and playing with is the idea of a, a pre-pandemic section of the book. Like part one is this is the year that I spent at the Wild Wild West before all this nonsense happened, this is what it felt like. This is what it looked like. And then a second half of off-strip casinos that have collapsed, and there are going to be some that collapse in this uh, calamity, and uh, and how casino is different now that we're dealing with this uh, the social distancing and and the, the hyper vigilance on cleaning and washing our hands. How do we? How how does a casino? fit. There's so many things to think about. There's uh, the social distancing. There is, can you play, you know, with gloves? Can you play cards with gloves? How do you clean the cards on a regular basis? Can you wear a face mask and still sip a comp drink? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that casinos are going to have to figure out how to do. I think we'll figure some of them out, but it's it's just going to be very interesting. So I think the book is probably going to be in two parts. So it may take a little longer for me to write because the first part is getting written. Um, I'm getting, like I said, lots of research and lots of anecdotes that I've compiled over the year that I've been at Wild Wild West. Um, lots of fun. Going to be very interesting. It's going to be a very interesting new world um, if we pay attention. I'll tip my hat to the new constitution. Take a bow for the new revolution. Smile and grin at the change all around. Pick up my guitar and play just like yesterday, then I'll get on my knees and pray we don't get fooled again. Don't get fooled again. No, no. Yeah, meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. What does a pandemic and the ensuing reaction to it reveal? We have the time now, away from the grind of what we accepted as the best we could have in this world, to fully reflect upon that question. For the tiniest percentage of human beings, things were going pretty goddamn well. I mean, I read about a wealthy cat who couldn't be bothered with a deal on securing a permanent seat on a private jet for just over regular business class prices because he'd never waited in line at the airport. For the overwhelming majority of us, we have accepted the paycheck-to-paycheck -paycheck existence. 
The lifestyle that requires working for just enough to pay for the things we need but mostly want to survive. Being told in corporate mantra that if we take a sick day, we'll be penalized for succumbing to illness. Bowing our heads to the idea that our worth is only valued at the cost of a cup of Starbucks coffee per hour of labor. Most of us, when told by scientists the plain facts about pandemic, understand on some fundamental that quarantine is a reprieve from an economic model that doesn't value us or our time and effort much. Sure, there's always some who get in line with the wealthiest as they advertise the fall of an economy that only truly benefits the rich and famous, but those are the folks with so little imagination as to only see hope through the lens of a camera handed to them. None of this is new, although it feels new, because we've never personally experienced it before. Social distancing, canceled events, closed businesses, every modern pandemic has had these measures evoked by the reigning governments. Backlash against these measures, a refusal to take seriously the threat and more death as a result, every pandemic has resulted in this as well. Economic and political fallout, it's completely normal. Christ, we have these circumstances hit us almost like clockwork every 20 to 30 years. Gen Z, for all their obvious faults, have endured two major crises in their short lives, born into the 9-11 chaos coming of age during the COVID-19 world. What we're experiencing is not a new normal. It's just normal. I'm reminded of the look of horror and shock on Chris Evans' face at the end of Snowpiercer when Ed Harris casually explains that his revolution from the back of the train had been manipulated, that the resistance was both expected and necessary to keep the balance of power intact. You know, like Neo in the Matrix trilogy, nothing about the rise up of the 99% is original. It's simply another predictable cog in a preordained machine. Meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. And what is revealed is not a sense of the inevitable, although that response seems perfectly natural, predictable even. What is revealed to me, at least, is that in order to subvert this cycle, we need to try something different than has been done in the past to see if different results occur. I find it endlessly fascinating that so many embrace an economic model that has almost never worked for them as something essential to return. Is it better to be without a job and find a new way to survive or to go back to the meaningless dreck of hourly employment for entities that place such low value on your time and life? Is the unknown so terrifying that we'd all, all rather eat shit soup because, hey, what if we don't find something better to eat? Perhaps this is the point where I start wearing the duct tape and foil chapeau, but it seems to me that the architects of this cycle have never been our political leaders. I certainly do not see the Democrats and Republicans as the same, but I do see that both sides tend to protect the interests of the sustainers of this economy over those of us who labor to build their pyramids for scraps and peanut shells. Capitalist, socialist, communist, all exactly the same when the same interests are in control. I'm unsure if our competitive nature is hardwired into us. Dana believes we're naturally cooperative, not naturally competitive, but cooperative. Anecdotally, I can see her point, as well as ample evidence to the contrary. She's also completely in touch with the feeling of relief this shutdown of America has engendered in for far more people than are willing to admit it. The feeling of always swimming with your nose just above the surface isn't unusual. To have a mandated moment in time when everyone has to stop is a grand time for reflection. I remember reading The Loudest Noise in the World when I was a kid. It was about the son of a king of a very powerful country. For his birthday, he decided what he wanted more than anything else was to hear the loudest 
sound in the world. So the king, loath to disappoint his offspring, commissioned every diplomat, every emissary, every other king and queen and president and world leader to require that at noon on his son's birthday, every living human being would make as much noise as each could possibly make. Every gun would be shot, every cannon would explode, bombs, pots and pans bang, people shouting, all at exactly noon on the boy's birthday. Now, because it's a fictional tale, the king also employed the animal kingdom, all of whom could not only understand the directive, but also somehow tell time. The world, ordinarily at odds with each other, was miraculously unified in this task to create the loudest sound in the world. On his birthday, the boy was in I mean, he was incredibly jacked up. He was to sit at the top of the highest tower of the castle and close his eyes, and the clock ticked slowly to the appointed time. Five, four, three, two, one. And the boy was hit square in the eyes with the overwhelming and beautiful sound of silence. As it turned out, every person, every animal, everything wanted to hear the loudest sound in the world, too. And at the appointed time, every living creature on the planet held its breath and listened. And it was the most beautiful thing anyone had ever heard. It is that sound we're hearing now. To ignore it for more of the same noise we've become accustomed to is a mistake. We will be fooled again and again and again, unless we take this awful, wonderful opportunity and rethink ourselves, the new boss will always be the same as the old boss. And that is episode 72. Thank you so much. Uh, for those of you that we've, you know, I'm, I'm, it's been fun uh, as I re- kind of had a resurgence of doing the the podcast I'm getting some more listeners and I'm actually getting some uh some emails uh commenting on some of the stuff which has been really uh really satisfying maybe in the next couple of episodes I'll compile some of those emails and share them with you um in the meantime if you're listening and it's you know you're kind of digging digging where I'm headed um what I'm laying down um, if you could go to Apple podcasts take five minutes of your time and you've got nothing but fucking time right now because you can't go to work um Head over to Apple Podcasts and throw me a review. I don't care if it's a one-star review or a five-star review. Just just a little bit of a review. Let me know with some feedback. What do you think I'm doing right? What do you think I'm doing wrong? Let me know. It's a nice thing. And then the more reviews, then the more people listen. It's just the way it works. So I appreciate you listening. And I hope uh, you are safe, that you are keeping yourself showered. Because uh, in, in the pandemic uh, lay around, showering is sort of a secondary thing so stay clean you know because clean is good you know you never know when somebody's going to come over and you know say hey pandemic's over and then you look like a fucking you look like robinson crusoe or fucking tom hanks and castaway and you don't want to look that way you want to be at least have your hair combed and not have a stinky ass there you go that in mind have a great week take care of yourself This has been another episode of the Peculiar Journeys podcast. For archived episodes, go to donhall.vegas slash podcast to hear stories of Chicago, of Millennium Park, and of the big move to Las Vegas. If you dig the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and review the show. If you really dig the podcast, why not go to patreon.com slash peculiar journeys and help fund the endeavor. 
Whatever you decide to do, thank you for listening, and I hope you come back for more of my peculiar journeys.